our sermon. I'll give us a moment to get there and then I will read. All right, Micah 4, verses 1 through 7. The word of God reads, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of the host has spoken. For all the peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I've afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Good morning, Renewal. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is David Kim. I'm one of the pastors at Renewal, and it is my pleasure as well as an honor uh, to be able to preach to you this morning, especially in this season of Advent where we're remembering the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me start with this question. What's your favorite Christmas movie? You don't have to say it out loud. Just, I'm pretty sure something is popping up. That was one of the frequent icebreaker questions I've heard during uh, college ministry fellowship during this time of the year or, you know, some other Christmas meetings. Um, and probably some, there are immediate images in your head, Christmas movies. What are mine? And uh, you're probably thinking. I have one that I consider as my favorite, and this actually happens to be my all-time favorite. It's called The Lord of the Rings. I know some of you are... Now saying, yeah, he finally revealed his non-American identity. That's not a Christmas movie. No, but I'm, I'm here to share with you that there is a heavy Christmas, Christmas theme to The Lord of the Rings, especially the third one, because what is it titled? The Return of the King. And that is a Christmas message that I would like to share with you this morning through the lens of Micah, especially in chapter 4. I know it's a far-fetched attempt uh, to make this point, but it is interesting how uh, many of these old and even new movies and storylines actually have the same theme of awaiting the one that is hoped to come. And this very one 
figure. This person is this person that is expected to come and save the people from the reign of this ultimate evil figure. It's a popular storyline. Why is that, I thought? And I think there's a reason why this is a classical plot that um, rings to people's heart, even to this day. And I think it's in, because it's embedded deeply within us, all of us here, to await for this figure who's coming to solve our problem. Why? Because all of us actually share the same experience, which is trouble, conflicts, turmoil, misery. There are things that aren't solving in its own and that we fail to solve. And so there's this sentiment that everyone can share to think, someone come and help. So there's this deep sense of yearning, looking for a thing, a problem solver. In this case, actually, a king. Someone who's powerful. Someone who has answers. And someone who's for us, who's going to take care of us. During our Advent series, we've been going over how God responds to humanity in each different times and in order to get a better sense of who it is that is actually coming when we say Jesus Christ is the one who came. So far, we've covered the creation and the fall. We saw how it was joy that God created the world for, how it was our ultimate joy to worship the Lord and to enjoy Him and His creation forever. The last week, Pastor Bill took us through this fall, fall of humanity, fall of creation, how the joy was broken by the entrance of sin and how everything has been corrupted ever since. Now humanity under, is under this shareable experience of sin and misery. Today's sermon is about the response of God to that. God responds to that sin with his redemption. He brings redemption. Let's take a look at that through the lens of the prophet Micah. What I really appreciate about Micah uh, is that uh, it shows us God's redemption, but the main subject of that scene, especially today's passage, is God's people. Many times there is a challenge that I experience as well as from other people about this conversation, Jesus' redemption, the salvation of Christ. Sure, we know what it sounds like. We know the, the right answer, the Sunday school answer, whatever we would easily uh, label it as. But there's this sentiment that we struggle with, which is how do you experientially relate to this? What does that redemption mean to me today? What does it feel like right now? I think today's passage shows us a really good picture of it because it shows a scene of how that redemption takes place in the lives of God's people. So today we'll see three aspects of what God comes to establish in the name of redemption. Three things that he establishes. First, the establishment of the true worship. And second thing we see is the establishment of the true peace. And lastly, we see God establishing the true kingdom, the true worship and true peace in his true kingdom. So let's talk about the first part, true worship. Ever since the entrance of sin uh, into the world at the fall, we have become sinners in every way. Now, one of the miserable effects of sin is that it is now deeply 
and descriptively drawn by Micah in the beginning chapters. He goes on to explain what that looks like. This prophet brings a fiery condemnation against Israel because of their various variety of sins. Micah calls out how they sinned in every possible way. He lists them out and he describes it. Idolatry, violence, injustice, greed. The list goes on in a graphic depiction. One of the highlighted sins of Israel was idolatry. A seminary professor describes this in this way. Idolatry, quote, the worship of something other than God is at the root of all sin because sin seeks to steal glory from God to whom alone it is due and take it for the sinner, unquote. So behind every sin, there is idolatry. This distortion is there, distortion of our innate heart of worship that was meant to be, our heart of worshiping the one that needs to be worshiped, the one that deserves worship, that is distorted now, and now we're trying to take place with something else, just something else other than God, the creator himself. Idolatry, what is meant to be good, is turned into an object of worship. You know how idolatry isn't this, this Old Testament theme exclusively where those people did it. It actually is an ongoing struggle to this day that we all share. Something that we turn, uh, something good that we turn into an object of worship. Creation in and of itself is always good, and that was something to be enjoyed. But our idolatrous heart took it and started worshiping it. That happens too often in my life and in your life when we see something good, we take something good, and we elevate it. Friends, money, food, that's a real problem to me. Comfort, sex, you name it. There's a hostility that comes with this. That dwells deep in your heart against the one that needs to be worshipped. Hostility between me and God. There is this hostility. And the sad irony to this is that we also know that these things that we turn to worship won't save us. We know that deep in our hearts. We just try, kind of attempting it, knowing that we'll fail. And we turn to him again. Now this hostility between me and God, without a reconciliation of such brokenness, devastation is the only thing that comes that only follows. That's what Micah spends his first three chapters on, just how precisely because of this sin of idolatry, Israel will face destruction. Just variety of experiences that are miserable. Now, but in today's passage, chapter 4, there is a drastic change in the tone. Micah begins to shed some light of hope. So turn with me to Micah chapter 4, verse 1. Here, we get to see Micah's prophetic description of Israel's future. That, we, that there will come a day where everything will change. One day, Israel will become the center of worship. That's verse 1. And not just the nation of Israel, but verse 2, the world will gather and say this. They will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. People will gather and say, let's worship the Lord. Something happened. 
we're seeing a glimpse of something that happened here where we're seeing an, a restoration of true worship, the restoration of the purpose of our creation. Something happened. And up to this point of the chapter, Micah is busy describing the mess that the whole world was in. Obviously, Israel wasn't the only one acting in sin. Everybody was committing idolatry, every kind of sin, injustice, violence. They were flourishing in sin. Nations were warring against one another. They were neglecting weak and the poor. It was awful. And here, Micah says, one day, a true worship will be in the latter day. Latter days. When is this? When is this latter day? The commentary explains that this would be accurate to read it as in days to come, not in the last day. Because uh, it goes on to say the oracles of salvation that follow in chapter 4 and 5, it envisions the reestablishment of Zionists beginning with Israel's return from exile. And this day is further presented by our New Testament as having begun after Christ ascended his heavenly throne and sent his spirit. So what we're seeing in chapter 4 of Micah is about the days of Christ. In the latter days, according to Micah, there is something that will make. I'll speak loud. <laughs> oh. and, and, and there's this internal and genuine conviction of worship in every individual and in every nation. Verse 2 continues that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. A true worship entails the worshipers being under God's true teaching. And we want to listen to it, and we want to obey it. True worship. What is making this, these people do this? Verse 2 ends with this. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah is saying it's that law that is being sent. That law is going toward the ends of the earth that's making people worship. What kind of law? is making people worship genuinely. What is this word of God that's making people worship? Uh, that, we'll pick that up. And third point, because we'll go on, because Micah goes on. He doesn't stop to explain that. He says, wait, let me explain more of what that looks like. He depicts this day when a true sense of worship is established and there's this reconciliation of me and God. And then he goes on, wait, actually, there's more reconciliation between me and you. You and you. That's the second point. Establishment of the true peace. This entrance of sin that was brought uh, by the fall, hostility existed between me and God, and uh, this idolatrous heart didn't stop there. It continues on to us, toward one another, because we're thinking about ourselves, right? Because the center of the worship, center of the focus of life is me. We're all against each other. Because everyone else, everything else needs to serve me. That's when the hostility between one another and between nations happen. And too unfortunately, it is too easy to see such hostility when we see the history of humanity. And also it is sad to know that it is visible in our very own lives. That real hostility between people, between within me. And, and it differing in its degrees, but you get to see it and experience it every day at home, 
Um, I'm sure that exists uh, without children. But if, we have, if you experience uh, a life with children, it's a daily struggle with a presence of hostility. There is something there, not they, we. We are creative in becoming hostile to one another. You have wronged me this way, and I found a way to say that that was actually your fault. This hostility between people, Micah actually explains it in verse 3, that God will establish a true sense of peace between that. Let me read verse 3 for us. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's interesting how he talks about judgment. He says judgment is coming. He's been talking about the judgment all along through chapter 3. But this, in chapter 4, is a different kind of judgment. Before, up to this point, this judgment was one of destruction because it was God's judgment of evil. But now here, this different kind of judgment is the one that doesn't destroy, but it brings peace and it brings construction. He'll bring a judgment that will turn swords into plowshares from an instrument of destruction to an instrument of construction. People will no longer need to defend from one another because they will not be against one another. They will be for one another. What's happening that's making this happen? God's saying he's going to do this. And this hostility between me and you, you and you, this will be reconciled by God. How? Micah continues on. One more piece. He, this piece is brought by God, uh, that is brought by God, doesn't end with just sense of ceasefire, but it continues on into one's state of life. Verse 4, But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. God's vine, his fig tree, those are the things that we're going to be under. That is a scene of peace, a picture of rest, like Psalm 23. That's cool breeze meadow under the shade. God is the, God is the provider of such daily needs and protection, rest. And this person sitting under that shade is, he's well. She's content, at peace. There's no fear someone will get us because why the swords are gone it's turned into plowshares and now things are being provided how can these things be what makes this happen up to this point micah explained how in that day there will be a restoration of true worship and peace but what is bringing this into action that's a third point that's verse six and seven Micah says, in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. He's finally revealing 
how he's going to make this happen, how he's going to bring worship and peace in our lives because he's going to take back his throne because he will rule as king. Here we're seeing that clear statement of Micah saying that God will make this happen by creating a nation, his nation, consisting of his people, and he's going to reign them over as king. It's by God's establishment of the kingdom. If you are like me, the initial response to this kind of message, to me, I jumped to the heavenly kingdom, the one that is not yet here, not yet visible. On one hand, it's true that his full sense of restoration, his second coming hasn't been here. We, we still look around and see evil. We still look around and see lack of peace. So it's easy to jump to conclusion that it's not here. But if we take a look at this passage closely, what is God doing and when is he doing it? Who are these members of such nation? The lame, the castaways, the afflicted. It wouldn't be incorrect to think about those people as those who are weak and hurt, but a commentator explains that these people, the lame, is alluding to the laming of Jacob by the angel, and Jacob later being named Israel. So the lame represents the nation of Israel, and the castaway is the prophesied exile of Israel. So God's people, the hurt and weak, God's people are the people of Mount Zion, this nation. And later in the New Testament, we get a more description of who these people are. We'll see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Let me quickly read that for us. Peter said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So who are these people that are making up the kingdom of God today? It's us. The church. We are the members, the living and the touchable, visible members of such kingdom. These are the people that make up God's people, the people who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our King. I know that there's the not yet part, but that's the already part where the kingdom is already here. That distinction is a necessary distinction we need to make, both that we need to hold on to faithfully. Yes, there will be a day where the perfection, a perfect restoration will come that is still not here, that we await and we persevere through our lives. But while that we're waiting, we're living a true life of this kingdom, a true citizenhood of this nation, God's life and God's nation. 
And this is what I really appreciate about um, our creeds. Um, Westminster Confession of Faith is one of my favorite documents uh, recently, the recent few years. Um, chapter 25, section 2 states that the visible church is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom that we are the kingdom. How is this possible? Because the king is here. Because the king has taken back his throne. Remember, remember in chapter 1, sorry, remember in point 1, we saw this glimpse of this law that was distributed to make people worship. This law that went out from Jerusalem. What is this law? In other words, Micah said the law, the word of God. I think John chapter 1 also brings us some light to what that is or who that is. In the beginning, John says, there was word. And this word was with God, and this word was God. And later we see that this word came down to be with us as a person who we know as Jesus Christ. This is the king of the nation, the, the one that rules as a perfect judge who ends disputes. The one that, that is the true object of our worship. The one that protects, the one that beats down the swords into plowshares, the one that provides shade, the shepherd-like rest. The king is Jesus Christ. Briefly, how did he actually take back his throne? Just a Wikipedia plot summary version of how he took that is Philippians 2, 511. We see the inauguration of Jesus already taking place 2,000 years ago when he humbled himself on the cross. He says, when Jesus did that, Philippians continues, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He takes what is rightfully his. That church now starts today. Today, the church is the kingdom of Christ. The church, in other words, is the physical manifestation of the kingdom of Christ today that starts today. Section 3 in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, it went on. On to this church, the church Christ has given the, the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the earth, the end of the world. This is where everything is happening in real time. Not just for us to think that God's kingdom, Christ's kingship, will be fulfilled, in other words, will be realized at the end of the day. That's not true. It starts today. The ruling starts today in your heart as you take him as your Lord, your king. When he rules your heart, when the spirit dwells in you, when he sends that, when he sends that faith in himself, we start living a life of kingdom as Jesus reigns his church as the king. This is where the kingdom life starts, and it's both here and it is yet to come. So this is where we're living right now. And this 
is where it is mandating Jesus's authority here when he said it in Matthew 28 he said everything has been given to me remember that part where Christ says every authority has been given to me I am the king now what did he say after that now go therefore go and make disciples expand this kingdom expand the church the life of kingdom that leads us these people back to true worship back to peace back to rest the reign of king jesus christ is the solution the cause of us being under that peace and that is the right worship that christ really deserves because jesus is our king and that we get to diligently hear him glorify him enjoy him and rest him in our lives today so that's the conclusion that's what christmas is all about the return of the king no wonder why people come up with all these uh, fake fantasy sequels return of the jedi return of something people are returning but we need the right return of the right guy and he has done that two thousand years ago our king has taken back his throne the eternal god the son who came as the most vulnerable lamb so we will behold the lamb look at this king of the world our lord jesus christ who has taken his throne back by his humiliation so i pray that that takes place in every one of our lives today let's pray Lord God, we thank you for coming to us to bring us redemption. Lord, but you did not do that by this arrogant, lofty scene. You did that by becoming humbled through your humble life of a servant on a manger and later on the cross. Now you are enthroned above all, our Lord, and you are our King. Would you be glorified? Would you be worshipped, Lord Jesus? Would you reign in all of us? Establish the true worship of every one of our lives. That when we, when we see anything to worship, anything else than you, would you take back your throne in our hearts? Give us a true sense of peace amongst each other. Turn our hostility into a constructive growth in your kingdom. Let your kingdom manifest in our very own lives as we diligently and humbly hear your voice of love. God, we thank you. In Christ our King's name we pray, amen. Let's praise the Lord.